Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Borough Breakdown podcast, the Borough podcast that gives you the ins, the outs, the ups, the downs of Millsworth Football Club. And just before we kick things off this week, guys, um, I just want to thank every single one of you for listening to us over the last year. Um, As you could see by our Spotify wrapped stats last week, we've grown massively in 2020 and we couldn't thank you enough. Um, I just have one final favour. Um, and it's just to leave with a five-star written Apple podcast if you're on there as well. We're on 97, um, and we'd love to get to 100 for Christmas. So if you do like this podcast, um, leave us a comment, give us a five-star written. We'd read that on the podcast, and we would really appreciate it. But also, if you're on Spotify, make sure you drop us a follow um, and, and download our podcast, because that helps us hopefully get in the top 100 sports podcast next year, in the top 200. So uh, it's a great achievement, but also thank you very much um, for engaging and listening and all that fun stuff as well. So... Now that's done, uh, let's chat about the Borough. Um, and A goal from Nathan Collins in the 19th minute gave Stoke a 1-0 win at the Bet365 Stadium. The defeat, of course, uh, leave Mil- leaves Millsborough in 10th position in the championship table with one win in eight away from home this season. Um, Els, I'm going to kick things off with you. Mix it up a little bit. Dana's still getting a burnt together. Um, again. Again. <laughs> um, the defeat yesterday, mate. Would you think it was a fair reflection on, on Boris' performance yesterday because we didn't really get going? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, we didn't create enough chances to kind of warrant getting anything out of the game. Um, nonetheless, it was a very sloppy goal to concede and you know there wasn't a whole lot really in the game anyway from, from both teams. So it's kind of disappointing when we didn't come away with the draw, but you can't expect a lot when you only have one shot on target. Um, so it, it, it has been our downfall all season and it will continue to be so, I think. Um, the way we set up, obviously, the, the certain players that we have in the team, it's always going to be a bit of a struggle um, creating chances. So, yeah, I think it was probably a, a fair reflection on the game. It's um, It was annoying looking back at it um, when I watched the highlights this morning because the, the goal was just so poor to concede. I think, I don't know whether Akpom's had a knacker on us to get beat yesterday because the clearance was, was shocking to begin with for that goal and then he, then he nearly scored an own goal straight after that. So Nearly broke um, his duck of an own goal. Yeah. So uh, no, it was a disappointing day. Yeah, it was it was poor defending as well for the goal. I think Savile jumped too early. McNair was nowhere to be seen. He was just a free header and a, a very simple header to put to put away. But Els, 
like L's and Dana. I'm um, asking oh, instead. We've changed, have we? Yeah. yeah. Am I now L's? I'm, I don't you know, know what I'm used doing? to. You know what I'm used to. I'm used to going Dana first and Elliot second. I just feel like you know, it's just I'm so used to that I routine. Can't that be second choice. Yeah. Well, what can I say? I'm on the fence. Um, <laughs> Dana, Neil Warnock yesterday. He he seemed very very frustrated, not just with the performance, but. The referee, the pigsty of a dressing room with the fumes and the the cold, the cold uh, changes, porter cabins that we're in. <laughs> it um, sounds very much like Stoke. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. Very, it yeah, does. it's it's very Stoke. Like if you can't do it on a wet rainy day in Stoke, you can never do it. Um, but do you think he has a point with the officials and the disappointment of the dressing room? Oh, is he just clutching at straws for it? Being, since it was a bad performance. Yeah, I do feel like he's clutching a little bit. <sighs> I understand his point about the referees to a certain extent, but when I looked back uh, at the stats, because, I mean, the referee, uh, he he did seem quite trigger-happy with his whistle uh, during the game, but when I look back at the stats, there were 30 fouls called in that game. There was actually more against Swansea, so yes, it was stop-start, but Mm. it wasn't just stop-start for Borough, it was stop-start for Stoke as well, and... Um, you know, we just didn't get going. That's the main takeout from the game, not not the referee's performance and yeah, the 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 pig's thigh changing room. It, I mean, it was a, a quite a, an entertaining interview from Neil Warnock post match, but the main issue wasn't the dressing room or the the referee. I think it was Bory just simply didn't turn up on the day. Yeah, well, he was he seemed really angry about the dressing room. I feel like he's a uh, he's going to be kicking a few things around in the in the stock changes when they come up to the riverside oh, again. Yeah. Definitely, love to be a fly on the wall. He just, you, you just, he just like just set like camera of Neil Warnock just fly like just fly kicking the, the taps, <laughs> <laughs> just like pulling all the pipes out, unscrewing them. Kevin Blackwell walks in. What what are you doing, Neil? Oh, to, uh, nothing, nothing, mate. <laughs> just throwing lots of bucket of water in the toilets just to like make sure it overflows. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wouldn't put it past them either but do you think it was just the worst performance of the season away from home because we just did not get going at all yesterday yeah we didn't I think it was the worst performance of the season not just away right, okay. from home and I saw a few people saying and even Maddo was saying on commentary that Stoke weren't all that great but they didn't really need to be they didn't need to be swashbuckling and I do want to praise Stoke here because they Neil Warnock to Neil Warnock and that is quite some feat you know they, they, they didn't need to be um necessarily brilliant that wasn't the game it was a very scrappy game it was like I said stop start it never really got much floor rhythm to it and when you have games like that you need to be winning those um, second balls and picking up the loose balls and winning those little individual duels and we just didn't and Stoke did so you know fair play they they deserve the win and, and we got exactly what we uh, what we deserved from what the game that was nothing yeah. Mount, yeah. <laughs> to be honest it, I wasn't really surprised in all honesty I just thought we were dreadful um, I can't you know what? It, when 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 three Stoke players went off injured because of our challenges, I was like, "Yeah, we're really frustrated, and we're not going to do anything. That yeah, we're not going to create mm. a single thing." Well, it, I mean, it summed up the game that the the three changes did pretty much nothing. I think Britt might have had three touches in the game for a large part of it after he came on, and Patrick Roberts had that initial ball through to him that was just a little bit. There was a little bit too much on it, but all in all, the the changes didn't even do anything. So mm. it just summed up Borough's day. It just was not our afternoon whatsoever. Yeah, it wasn't. And else, how can Borum improve their away form this this year? Um, appreciate we've only had two. We're averaging about two shots on target away from home. One winning eight away. Appreciate six of those eight teams have all been in the top twelve, um, and we're struggling to create chances. Going to take something out of your book here. Um, average player positions. So Neymar was the highest uh, forward player for Middlesbrough. 
Savile, then Tav, then Spence, and then Chubarak Poms. Average position was on the halfway line yesterday. Um, so he was the, he was like the fifth uh, highest player in the team. Um, but how can we in, improve this? The way way displays uh, away performance displays um, away this season because it just seems like we we just haven't really got going at the minute. Yeah. Um... I mean, it is a bit of a obviously a coincidence that it's coming more often uh, away than than at home because I don't really feel like this season that it's having much of an effect for for most teams. Obviously, I think it's more just trends are going that way, but I don't think you know the the lack of fans is having uh, an influence really. Um, but I think it's it's more to do with the the way Borough playing set up. I think if we'd have had uh, another senior fit centre back, we'd have went three at the back yesterday. Um, it didn't really sort of add up the way we were playing. I think with the players' stuff we're getting in behind, I think we, we'd we have benefited from an extra centre-back there and having the wing-backs be able to get in behind when Stokes' full-backs pushed up. Um, and obviously with them playing a 4-2-3-1, um, obviously Red House and sitting and then Marzi and Savile in front and it was just a, you know, that, that we didn't have a man extra in midfield. Um, I was looking at passing accuracies for a couple of players, which to be fair, we on, on the whole, we were better than Stoke. Um, but Sam Marzies, I think, was one of the poorest on our team. It's about fifty-eight percent passing accuracy, which is just not good enough if you're in midfield. You need those passes to be crisp because if you lose it there, um, that's when they, you know, they can quickly break and, and make something of it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a mix of a lot of things, really. I think obviously the, the, the lack of options um, in in some positions, which you know, it, we kind of have to stick with certain formations. But um, I think. Uh, you know the the way we play in terms of the man marking, sort of having a great deal of concentration and stamina, it's hard to keep up every Wednesday and Saturday, and I think that's why we've started to go on this little bit of run of inconsistency lately, where we've had two wins and two defeats. Um, whereas obviously before we had the the, the ten in a row, so yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think even now over this Christmas period, I don't think we're going to have a run together. It's going to be it's going to be very mixed our form over the over the next month or so I think um, yeah it could be the same for, for for most teams unless they've got the quality there I know Norwich have a lot of injuries but they just seem to have the quality to pull out results yeah um, but I know you mentioned like passing accuracy there feels like we're Neil Warniola um, without <laughs> passing accuracy at the minute yeah um, but obviously with Sam Morsey having a 58% uh, I mean I think I think on the whole not, as, not great, as teams I think the team I think Borough was about 66% and Stokes was about 59 so as a team we were better but um, and this is just maybe just synonymous with the championship in general there's not many people who can pass the ball very well I think Dale Fry's was sort of 50s as well um, I think the best on the team was maybe Paddy McNair, which doesn't really surprise me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got to just get the, the simple balls right, really, haven't you? So Yeah, simplicity is key in the championship. Um, Dana, like Elliot was mentioning there, if we had more of a senior centre-half, we might have went to three at the back yesterday. That could have changed us into a two up front. Um, it looked like yesterday, for some strange reason, if Akpom was trying to play a false nine, where he was coming to feet mm. all the time, um, but is, do you think this is the, cl- the performance yesterday with the one shot on target as well? Um, and the, that's what I just mentioned there. Do you think it's a clear case of Borough may need to opt to a two up front now? Um, since one strike is coming in deep to receive the ball and no one's rooting around him to try and make an impact? Yeah, 100%. I mean, during the game, I, I do rate Chubrak from I do. I think that he can offer Borough a lot but he just can't play that holding role, you know, the, mm. the, the lone strike. I mean, Britt has the strength to do so, and I think his hold-up play is better than, than Akpom's. 
But Agpom has the attributes to be able to play off somebody. So, you know, he needs to be playing off Fletcher or Britt. And it just doesn't work for me. And and yesterday he was incredibly isolated. I'm really not surprised that he was on the halfway line because, you know, there was just there was nothing. And I think if you do play Aquam in that role, you really need Tav to to step up and move forward. And to be fair, you know, Tav recently has been good, but you know, for all his energy, it just seems a bit misplaced to a certain extent. Like he just seems to be running for the sake of it, or you know, he's he's energetic just. For the, you know to be energetic it's not really with with much um substance mm. so yeah I, I do rate Agpom um it is a shame that we haven't you know he hasn't really continued his good for, uh, form from when he started but we can't keep playing him on his own he needs to be played with Britain and maybe Neil Warren would have done so had uh, Fletcher not been injured because when you do play two up front especially with the squad that we've got and the lack of options you are risking it, aren't you? So, you know, if, if Tuba gets injured, there's just Brit. So yeah. maybe that's in Neil Warnock's thinking. I'm sure he's not, you know, Neil Warnock won't be daft. He'll probably know that Agpom, you know, is, is maybe not suited so much to that position. Um, but we, I think we do need to play him two up front. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, what if, if we're playing two up front, I think it was when Agpom first came, we were playing that, that two up front. We and were, yeah. One was coming to feet, one was pulling away, creating the space. Um, obviously, Tuba would create the space and the strike would run in. Um, but else, Dan has been mentioned it there. We looked isolated. We weren't creating much. Borah had 25 crosses yesterday in the box, uh, according to Neil Warnock. Um, and he was very critical of Borah's performance in the final third, which we've been pretty much mentioning there. Um, but do you think when you're looking at Borah's attacking play, do you think we're being very static in the box? Uh, especially the strikers, they seem to be very reactive, not proactive in, in, in the area. Yeah. Um, Should we look to be gambling more? That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think maybe the the confidence is playing into that. I mean, they haven't scored um, a great deal, obviously. I think two was on two, Brits on two or three, is he? Um, which I know is obviously quite high for actually at the club. Obviously, Marvin Johnson's only at four, but I think they'd have probably wanted more by this stage between them, especially when Tuba Rappam got two in two when he, when he first joined. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it is a case of maybe they've... They felt a bit isolated for so long, and then they're kind of out of the game that they don't feel involved when it actually does get out wide, and they don't have that sort of get go. I think, um, and it's it is difficult for them um, when you're watching it. You just I can understand why they are coming deep. Um, and I agree with, with sort of um, Dana's points there that that Brit is slightly better at doing it, but I, I still don't think either of them are brilliant at it when they come up against two strong, tall centre backs. You know, we've lost we've lost that battle straight away because you know Brit isn't going to take on two two physical centre backs. You know what I mean? If the ball's slightly higher as well, then you know you've got no chance they've they've won it in its back in the midfield, and then you're left sort of scrapping for the second ball. So, um, if you want them to play deep and you want them to come in as false nines, then you've got to have those runners or someone available there to be able to sort of pick up a pass. So if it comes into Akpom's feet, you have Morsi or Savile who can then look to ping it over to Johnson running or Spence running or whoever. Um, but it just seems a bit misjointed when we do it and either Savile or Mozzie isn't there or if they are there, the other players aren't making the runs. So it's like, well, what are we doing? Is the striker meant to be playing that deep role? Is he meant to be a poacher sniffing around the box? Because it's just a bit, they're in between what they're trying to do, I think. So there needs to be some work on what their clear definition of, the, of their role is, I think. so. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um it's a couple of things that you, you, you haven't mentioned when obviously when, you, when players are playing deep, but 
I think for me that the strikers just have to gamble more. Um, I think a great striker <laughs> sounds ridiculous. Gonna sound like Michael Owen, but a great striker <laughs> gambles, um, and they're not. They'll make a run, even if the ball's going to be nowhere near them, but they just try to act on where they think the ball's going to be, and they're going to move in that position to get there. You see great runs from the back post to the front post, and the front, uh, uh, like Stuani was a fine example of this mm. a few years ago, where he'd always come at the back post, run forward, and he'd, he'd, he'd just be in that right place at the right time. He'd gamble. Boris strikers aren't gambling at the minute. Mm. They're, they're very static in the box, very reactive. They're not trying to be a poacher which British Armbonger used to be he used to be a very very good poacher I appreciate we're not playing to his strengths right now and I appreciate that he's not a player that will hold the ball and then play off he is someone who wants to get in behind and get in, in around the six yard box that's how he made his name that's why we paid 15, 16 million pounds for him and we're just not playing that type of strengths but it's a shame because obviously Fletcher's injured now we can't play two at the top um, but Creating chances seems well, to I be think, a, I think that's a, a what, big thing for us. I think that's what maybe we've got to do then. Just kind of, I know it's easy enough to say we don't see what goes on behind closed doors and on the training pitch and and whatnot. But I think obviously when Britain and Akpom are maybe playing, um, just keep their line really high in terms of like Johnson and and Spence or Tav if he's on that side, keep their line really high, um, and uh, and stay like on the sort of the last court tails of the defenders really, and look for more yeah, kind of through them. balls and balls over the top really. Because I mean, it was working against Huddersfield obviously until Richard Seaman went off, where you know Britt was kind of blistering him for pace. And I wouldn't say he's you know he's blessed with pace, but normally strikers are you would assume quicker than the most defenders. So I don't know, maybe they've just got to do that. Obviously, I know they want to get on the ball more, and it's kind of like if the ball over the top isn't right or the ball through isn't accurate. Um, then you kind of you you ran for the sake of it, and so maybe they come into feet to get involved a bit more. But um, if you are doing that, then like you say, you are gambling, aren't you? Because if the ball over the top is is spot on from one of the midfielders or, or McNair or yeah. whatever, then then you're in behind, aren't you? So yeah, I just think, I just think you've got to, got to gamble when when you're in those areas when you when you're in the box. And great strikers find a way to to, to score. Really, it it sounds ridiculous, but. Edison Cavani is a, f- a fine example. If you ever want to watch a player, who's probably, he's, you know, Edison Cavani is probably one of the best strikers in the world for m- movement inside the box. Uh, Calvert-Lewin this year, excellent. You know, he's always in that area. And if you look at all their goals for the majority of the career, they're just they're gambling in the right places. And they tend to, you know, be that one step ahead of the defender and find that pocket of space and tend to get the shot away. But you never know. I'm, maybe I'm being, we're probably being overly critical and creating chances away from home. You know, played six... Six up the eight are in the top twelve. We should have we have no right to be where we are, but we've probably over delivered so far this season. So I think it's just more of a case of how can we improve rather than yeah. more a case mm. of being very critical of it. But then yeah, is definitely. is there any positives we can take away from yesterday at all? I was thinking this yesterday. I I genuinely don't think there is. <laughs> I, Not one. <laughs> I know. I would love to. I'd love to know what. Um, our listeners. The think. journey home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Neil Warnock's post-match interview. There we go. There's one. Yeah. We'll, we'll say that. But in terms of performances, I think all across the board, it was very poor and very below below our usual standard that we set this season again for the second away trip in a, in a row, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I, I honestly, I can't pick any positives from that. Mm. The only the only game this year where we've had more than three shots on target was the first game of the season against Watford. <laughs> One start of the day. Well, <laughs> but the, def- the, the defeat yesterday, of course, takes us to 10th in the championship with three points off the playoffs. So, like I mentioned there, it's not really the end of the world, but got a question else from Gabriel, um, and they've mentioned 
I personally think the championship is very weak this year with no real standout teams and that can be seen by how tight the table is uh, once again and of course it's only three points from from the playoffs but also I think it's like five points from top two I think so um, if if one team were able to put a really decent run together at the top um, and could separate themselves from the leading pack could Bora be that team? Um, no, we've seen we've, we've been able to go on a run um, this year, so I don't see why not. But I really don't think it can happen over this period now. I don't think many teams are going to be able to put together a good run over Christmas. Um, it comes back to my point earlier of that, you know, squads are just very thin. There's, there's injuries. There's um, trying to play it with high intensity every sort of three days. I just don't think it's going to happen. But you know, if I don't know the the fixture schedule in the new year, but if you know when it gets to February and March time, if we're just playing every Saturday, um, and we only have a midweek game once every two, three weeks rather than every week at the moment, um, then I think we'll be able to put together a good run because I think we're we're a very very organised unit on our day, um, and you know the the team, are, I think I think playing for Neil Warnock. Um, sometimes it doesn't you know come off. Sometimes the game plan doesn't work. But I think they're they're really motivated to to do well, um, and I think he's brought that sort of charisma to the team really. So, um, yeah, I think we'll we'll probably go on another run at some point this season uh, and challenge. Um, but it's just if we can, if obviously we can turn some of those because obviously in that last ten game on beating run, I think was it six draws, was it out of the ten possibly, um, and just turning a couple more of those into wins really in the in the nil-nils where we've created a couple of chances and things, we've got to take them um, and who knows, if you're picking up an extra two points here and there in some of those draws, then I think we'll be in with a good shout. Yeah, two points again get you up uh, towards the top end of the table. Uh, Dane, I'm just going to quickly mention it, but do you think Borough could be the team or is it maybe not? You never know because Neil Warnock has the record, so we have the right manager for it. Neil but... Warniola. Yeah, it, it depends. I've spoken a lot about injuries and, and the threat that they hold, but it's actually the um, the last game, the, the Stoke game, it was more of the mental slackness that worried me a little bit. I mean, they have, you know, the, the man-marking policy that you were mentioning there, else you have to be fully switched on at all times. And we, I think we just, we were off the boil yesterday think, and it did seem as though, you know, mentally yeah. we were a little bit weak. I think uh, one key thing which has been a, a good thing of that is that the, the fullbacks switch over on the and they'll follow the marker wherever they go and I think obviously Bowler and Dykesteel have been very good at it. With Dykesteel's injury um, I don't feel like Spence is as good defensively at doing that um, mm. and maybe where we the cross obviously did come from his side um, for the goal yesterday so maybe that's where one key player that I think we're missing in Dykesteel for that yeah, system. Definitely. Yeah, well, he's, he's set to come back. Um, I don't think he's playing against Preston, but I think it's on Saturday. I think he was looking for him to come back. Yeah, the uh, Millwall game. Yeah, against Millwall. Um, but let, let's move on and let's let take a well, take a step back. Let's go down memory lane. Um, let's chat about some in-the-news chatter we've seen this week. So if, you've, if you haven't seen it already, Borough fans, um, there was a lot of hierarchy comments um, over the last few days from former employees of Borough. So Tony Pulis uh, was asking for credit uh, about the reset um, that he did at the club at the time. Johnny Woodgate was on the Jamie Carragher podcast, and in my in my personal opinion, I think it's a really, really good podcast, so I think you should really listen to it. Um, Woodgate has some great stories, to be honest, about Real, his time at Real Madrid, his moves, his time at Borough as well. It is actually a good podcast, so I'd give it a listen if you haven't. Um, but also, Adrian Bevington was, was talking about the much younger Borough squad now as well, and 
I kind of want to take Babington away from it because Babington's comments are more about the team now rather than when he was at the club as well. But Patrick Carey, um, they sent us a question down and he's asked them, asked, do any of them deserve credit for their roles in this Millsborough reset button? Um, obviously, the reset is uh, around about when Gary Monk spent £55 million, But never bear in mind, we did get about £46 million of that back, remember? So it was just, did, it yeah. was just more of a case of wages, which Tony Pills was referring to. But... Do you think any of them deserve credit, Dana, or is to, I'm, I'm assuming Tony Pulis is clutching at straws? I was looking for credit. Yeah, I can't bring myself to give Tony Pulis much credit or praise, to be honest, apart <laughs> from the fact that he got the best out of Dharma and he didn't get us relegated. But, you know, there's this narrative that he's created that he's put out there continuously that, oh, Steve spent a hell of a lot of money. Hell of a lot of money. He spent £20 million on three players. And you eight know, million Aiden Flint. <laughs> well, it was seven. I think seven for for Flint, eight for Savile, five for McNair. But you know, you could say, well, you, you know, that was what we got from the the deals uh, for Dharma, uh, Bamford, and Gibson for selling them. You know, Tony Pulis didn't have as open a checkbook as Gary Monk did. But the idea that you know he had you know pennies and that he was yeah, wise yeah. with what he spent is absolutely ridiculous. He didn't to me. come in and like wheelers, wheel and dealers were through with loans and and everything else. Yeah. And even the loans that we did have, it was what more Bessich who probably came on a, a big wedge. John Obi Mikel the same. Yeah, um, all Mikel would be on a hundred bags. Yeah. yeah. So oh, it's so. um yeah. I don't I don't I really don't understand the the narrative that he's done it. He hasn't. He didn't restructure anything in my eyes mm. really, and it's. I don't know, I think some people have, I don't know many people, but some people must have laughed it up because he, he seems to just keep saying it. I don't know whether he... Well, he wasn't saying it last year, was he? When we were down in the depths of the championship, he wasn't yeah, giving yeah, credit yeah. there. Because I personally, I fully believe that he contributed to Borough's struggles last season because, you know, we sold his armour, we never replaced him. He brought in two wingers throughout his time at the club, Jack Harrison and Reggie Vanapara. They played nine games between them. Nine games? And you know what he did instead? He brought in... Four midfielders on top of the three that we already had. So you talk about that, God knows, you know, that uh, middle-heavy formation that we had. Central midfielder FC. Yeah, Jonathan Woodgate inherited a very lopsided squad. You know, whether you want to talk about whether Woodgate was a good manager or not, um, point being, at, at the very beginning of his bor- of his time at Borough as manager, he inherited a really unbalanced and out-of-sorts squad because um, the, the wide players that he did play were George Savile and Johnny Howson. And we wonder why we were only just seeing the best of George Savile. It's because Tony Pierce, but he played him left wing back. Like, <laughs> I was I was speaking to a Chef Wed fan about this. I do not know. And he, and he played Dale Fry right back. He did, yeah. Fair enough, it was only for a few games. But to be fair, I remember Dale Fry having a really good game at right back, but... Yeah, it's still a bit of a baffling decision. You know what, for yeah. me, you know what sums up Tony Pulis' era is when John Hugo runs the line and crosses it into an, just an empty <laughs> box. <laughs> <laughs> that sums up the Tony Pulis here oh, in one that but yeah to, to finish off I, I firmly do not believe that he moved Borough forward and I would even argue that he settles back um, I think Neil Warnock is the one that has really reset it and, and steadied the, the sinking ship because you know he uh, it's very appropriate obviously because we, we are doing well this season and Neil Warnock is the manager so time will tell but for me Tony Pulis did not he did not contribute much to that to that reset for me. Maybe in terms of FFP, but all in all, I, I detailed it all out on my notes here. There's two positives and about seven ne- or eight negatives. Go on then. Go on. 
All the negatives. Well, it just mentions well, some of them. The, what's the two positives? Well, the, <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, it's it's the Adama one, okay. which, by the way, when we didn't have Adama, right? Okay, I'll give you that one. Two shots on target in 180 minutes in the playoffs. So you could say, right. well, he got us to the playoff, the the playoff semi-finals. We should have got to the playoffs with that team. Be fair, we, with the team yeah. we had. Yeah, we should have. But we went, we went out with a complete and utter whimper, didn't we? And and yeah, he didn't get us relegated. Didn't get us relegated. So that's go, that's where another one for the Tony Pure this list, isn't it? He's never been relegated as a manager. I can't wait for him to like leave with like ten games to go for Chef Wednesday. I'm like, ah, oh, well, still not relegated. Uh, and <laughs> spent a lot, hell of a lot of money at this football club. Um, <laughs> but it's hilarious. So like, uh, if you look at his press conference, he said exactly the same thing. He's just a does he sit down audience. now? By the way, I feel like he I, does I, sit yeah. down now. Does he? Yeah, he does. Um, He's all changed then. Well, the thing is, right when they put the laptop on the desk, right, you can only see half of his body. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he kind of has to sit down. <laughs> we should just do it on you his phone his next gut. time. Says <laughs> <laughs> say Chef Wed, a lot of money. <laughs> South <laughs> Wales. Custodian. Milk, milk. was it? Yeah. Um, well, in South Wales, we used to put... need a bit of milk. <laughs> need a bit of milk, you used to ask your neighbour. I don't think I despise someone more than Tony Peerless. I mean... I quite liked him at first. I thought... You yeah. Know, you know, when he came, I thought, you know what? Great appointment. You know what? He might get us up the season. <laughs> Great record at store. Good record in the Premier League. Didn't even look at the comments around from West Brom fans saying I hate football. Crystal Same. Palace fans say, <laughs> saying stuff I can't even repeat on here. <laughs> uh, like, but it's like, yeah, I'd yeah. say Tony Pulis. I'm well, happy with that. The thing is, is he comes in and he says the right things really and does. he creates a narrative. That's what he does, which, which is why I absolutely despise him. And I think he just creates a narrative that everyone other than Tony Pulis is Satan. And Tony Pulis is this God-created creature that is, you know, a blessing to everyone's football club. He's not. Well, he is a God-created creature. He's a he's a dinosaur. <laughs> 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 All right, put your claws there. <laughs> he's only down the road. Exactly. He's outside, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, what were the remaining negatives that you've got? So you've mentioned a few, but I'm just trying to replay them on my head a little bit. Um, well, it was the spent spending twenty million 20 on three mil. players, playing Savile left wing back, Housen right wing back, and Fry right back. Saw the Darby didn't replace him. Played in uh, brought in two wingers, didn't play them. Uh, Rajivanapara, Jack Harrison played for nine games between them. Signed four midfielders on top of the three we already had, and it all culminated into what was an unbalanced squad for Woodgate. Um, and in summary. Uh, he contributed towards Borough's struggles last season. Love a good summary. Um, but we'll chat about Johnny Woodgate then, since we're gonna <laughs> since you've put you move that on. Um, Woodgate was really on, really honest in this interview with Jamie Carrigan. He said that we we lost six players immediately when he took over, and he's right. You know, we lost Bezic, we lost Downing, um, we lost quite a lot of creativity in the team as well. Um, and his, you know what? When I look back at Woodgate's reign, he. He's he's had it tough, really, but like he he still wasn't a good manager. Like at the time, he needed that experience around him. And he actually admits that in the in the pod as well. So, but what get the first thing he said in the in the podcast with Carragher, he said he had an agenda against him. I was trying to take. Did Johnny Woodgate have an agenda against him? And when we were went want to hire him anyway because we were very split when we were mm. when we were chatting about it. Yeah, I feel like from the core sort of fan base say like the, the you know the 15k season tickle i don't feel like there was um i guess it does depend on the you know the social circles that you're in and who you're talking to and and whatnot and i know there was um you know i wasn't a, a massive fan of the appointment myself and i thought it was quite a 
lazy sort of appointment in all of the other options we, we could have had. But I feel like from, from the outset, <coughs> after it initially being appointed and we had a couple of friendlies, everyone was like, well, okay, we'll, we'll give him a chance. Um, and, you know, we went to the Riverside, the, the South Stand and the Red Faction were singing his name, yeah. you know, all the, the time. The game, everyone was up, up, uh, up from, weren't they? Like, everyone was mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like singing his um, name. So I don't, I don't feel like there was a, an over sort of agenda against him. I feel like there was just a, maybe a bit of disappointment and a bit like we seen what we thought actually rang true in the end that the lack of experience may tell. Um, yeah, I don't really feel like there was a, a massive hatred agenda against it. So. Yeah, Dana, would you agree? Or I see where he's coming from because I, I do feel as though people just didn't like him before he was appointed uh whether rightly or wrongly it's it's up to people you know it's people's opinion um but i I do feel as though people were almost expecting him to fail before he really got into it and um i I do see where he's coming from but in the end you know kind of prove the fans right to a certain degree um, Borough did do him dirty a little bit because they didn't bring in any experience alongside him. And I still can't believe that um, after Steve Round rejected us that we didn't go in for anybody else. That was a, mig- a, a big blunder from from Borough. But um, yeah, I, I get where it's coming from, but I also understand people saying that that's a lot of nonsense and he just wasn't the right manager to start with. Yeah, it, I didn't think he was the, the right appointment. And I remember saying at the start of that season, I was like, I want more of like a... You kind of itch or Chris Hewitt or something, something like a little bit of experience. You kind of you know. Chris Hewitt. Yeah, I did at the time, but I, I think I remember you saying that actually. To be fair, you know what? Uh, yeah, you're struggling like, not Suarez at the time, but like he's had a, he has a great record. Like he got Newcastle. Obviously, he spent he didn't spend much, but he got them up. But he got Brighton up. Good record. I was like, well, you know, you kind of know what you're getting with like those type of managers. And like with Woodgate, it's like what's in this box? Like he, yeah, you, it could be a masterstroke or it could just go terribly, terribly wrong. And it just did. Like it was the it was the one penny on deal or no deal box, was it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was put tear in. Yeah. There's one for out of context boy breakdown. Yeah, I just thought we'll get out the box, wasn't it? <laughs> it's <just> Noel Edmund. <laughs> <laughs> Noel Edmund on the touchline. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I feel sorry for we'll get a little bit. I know it didn't go well. He has been like messed about a little bit. He needed the experience around him, but hindsight's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like it just did not work out for him, and I kind of hope that he learns from this mistake. If he goes back into management, that he has that experience around him, and I, ho- I hope he actually gets like a fair crack of whip in terms of finances. Because yeah, he's brought in, he brought in Baller and brought in Dyke Steele and and uh, Ma- Marcus Brown, uh, but obviously like they didn't perform quite well at the start, did they? So like, I think he was kind of forced you know i think sacking him was the right decision but the appointment should never have happened but it'd be good to chat to Woodgate about the whole the whole season and how it planned out in his head because i remember in, in, in the podcast with Carrie, he says like he knew at the salford game that we we could not implement his style of football because we just weren't good enough i was like oh well, uh, well, thanks, well yeah thanks, that, that, that is the that is the how it is in the championship, isn't it? You, you kind of have to play in certain ways because, as we were alluding to earlier with the, the passing, it's like you, you're never going to adopt that style of play because mm. sometimes the quality is just lacking a little bit. And I think that's why it's quite an even division almost at the time where, you know, really like when we play Stoke and it only finished 1 0 yesterday, that game could have easily just been a draw if, if we'd have just concentrated for that 
that one moment really. And I think that's where there's not many games where teams get absolutely blown away. Um, you know, unless you're us last season. Um, <laughs> but no, I think uh, there's, there's not many moments. I think when it is, it's like what was it? Bournemouth yesterday against Barnsley. It's a bit of a sort of difference in class and just just relegated mm, from the Premier League. League and stuff. But I think normally when you've been in the Championship a couple of years, teams are sort of fairly evenly matched, and you've got to just be a a fairly hard working unit and and have sort of a solid sort of game plan based on simplicity really rather than sort of coming out and being like right we're going to be adventurous and try this sort of system and play him there and do that and and whatnot because the players just don't have have the skills to do it i don't think but mm. yeah, fair enough let's move on then oh see i'm on a bright note like i mentioned there we'll get and and bevington did bring in baller and dyke steel so Every silver line, I guess. Yeah, know? yeah. Every, every a, silver line. It's a blessing in disguise that we, you know, we, we got them, and obviously, it, it, it fixed obviously one wide issue, I guess, because we always were saying last season we didn't have not only just wingers as Dana mentioned, <laughs> but f- wing backs or full backs, and yeah. um, obviously we've, we've got quite a few now. Um, to be fair, so yeah, yeah. I've um, got a question from Richie Herstells. Um, they said it's it's about Mark Ball, so I thought I'd just chuck it in. And he just said, um, "How can someone come back from being on loan at Blackpool and not getting a game to be first choice left back at the Borough?" Easy answer, maybe. Yeah, just hard work and and self belief, really. I think I think Warnock's probably played a part in in instilling that in him and in a lot of the players. Um, you know, maybe didn't have a great year last year, or even if they did, just made them even better. I think that just comes from just respect and, and how you how you want to to play for the manager and it's the same for for any job you know if you if you're in a um if you're in a job where you really um like the people you're working for or you, you know you the team that you've got around you is amazing then you give that sort of little bit extra back don't you so um i, I think obviously with mark Waller, he, he's just he's been given the opportunity and he's took it and i think he's really enjoying it so is dyke steel and it's just come from the what Neil Warnock is, the type of person he is, we, we see it in press conferences. He's he's true, really, isn't he? He's not kind of like he doesn't put on a, a, sec, a second sort of face when he's <laughs> Gary Monk. Yeah, he's he's not he's not Monkbot. <laughs> Monkbot. Um, you know, he, he enjoys doing the job, and I think, but he can have that funny side, and he can have the serious side. We probably see more of the funny side in the press conferences and so on. But um, you know, you imagine when he's when he's doing training with the other coaches that he's very serious and he, he wants the players to work hard. And I think they do because. That they respect him so mm. yeah. I would agree he once always said that it's about 85% my management 15% tactics and so I think it's pretty much down to Warney that he's improved so much but also baller that's what I mean Any anyone can brilliant. and that's the thing like I'm not even saying just Johnny Woodgate but you know any people where you think you're a great tactician and you can you can work out sort of player movement and deploying people in certain positions and asking them to do certain roles you know, you, you can't just walk into a club and expect that to work because man management is is massive. Managing like 20, 30 players and they're all different types of people. They've all got their own stuff going on, but which people obviously seem to forget their own personal lives and so on. And making them happy and want to play and keeping them fit and everything like that is it's a huge job, really. Yeah. So I think that's why only certain people are caught out to be managers. And you see that's why they're obviously quite... Sort of dominant figures really you know and they have these sort of big personalities don't they so yeah just one podcast i'd recommend um sir clive woodward on high performance podcast with jay Humphrey and uh oh, i can't remember his name now come oh. 
I've just been on about it like five I know you were. Uh, anyway. <laughs> he was singing the podcast praises that I can't remember who that is. <laughs> like, she's just flying into me again. Um, but yeah, Jake Humphrey, um, it's, it's fantastic. Honestly, God, it's absolutely brilliant. It's all about man management. Explains how he took over the England rugby team and all the rules that they the made to make sustainable. And then also like the the man management side of things, it's really, really interesting. So after this podcast, when you I'd listen to the High Performance podcast with Jake Humphrey and Damien Hughes, Damien there Hughes, is, there we go. There um, uh, but yeah, <laughs> glad we're gone. Uh, but anyway, let's move on. Then um, let's chat about Preston. Borough go to Deepdale on Wednesday night, 16th on the table. Preston fairly inconsistent. Some Preston fans were wanting uh, Alex Neal out a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. ago as well, yeah. and they drew to two yesterday. But I'll pass the mic over to you. Let's break down Preston. Yeah, they play a 4-2-3-1 formation. Uh, they like to play the ball along the floor. Um, again, like Swansea, uh, 70% of their total passes are short passes. Um, and their main outlets are Fisher and Barkhausen down the right-hand side. Uh, 40% of their player comes down that flank. Um, but they are really, really struggling at home this season. Only two wins at Deepdale, so their home form is completely rotten. Um, the strengths that they have, Scott Sinclair on his day is, is a very good player. Um, six goals for them this season, their top scorer. But um, he does have moments where he switches off. He switched off uh, against Wickham for their second goal. Um, so it depends, you know, if he's on song, they have a very good player on their hands. If they don't, they're essentially playing with 10 men. I, I would go as far as arguing. But um, another uh, good player for them is, is Ben Pearson alongside Ryan Ledson in midfield. I hate Ben Pearson. That's the thing. He he him. is such a crap house, isn't he? He's yeah. like their version of Sam Morsey, but amped house. up a little bit. Um, he loves it. Yeah. He loves the yellow card. He loves the tackle. Um, but therein lies the problem because he rolled his ankle uh, against Wickham and he's most definitely out for the game uh, against excellent us. Excellent news, good. I was hoping so, yeah. for Marzi to absolutely snap him. I was actually, I'm, I'm actually quite <laughs> I would love to have him at Borough, but I mean... Well, like... yeah, yeah. I'm actually quite disappointed he's out because I would have loved to have seen him up against Sam Marzi. It would have been some spectacle. But yeah, unfortunately, he's, he's out injured. Um, and when he went off in that game against Wickham, he just they just never got into their rhythm um, after that, and they they looked quite weak in midfield. I mean, Ryan Ledson is good, um, but I think he's better alongside uh, Ben Pearson. But uh, yeah, the, their defence this season is probably their main weakness. Uh, only one team has conceded more than their twenty-five, and that's Coventry. So, second worst uh, defence in the division. Their squad has been absolutely hampered uh, by injuries. They've got Bauer, Moth, Borden, Gallagher, Earl, and Hughes all out, and uh, Fisher suspended as well. So, I mean, it's a it's an open goal really for Borough to get the the win, which is. Borough and open goals. Typical Borough comes into, into play. We might have five shots on target. Oh, we might do. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, there's there's a lot of pressure on Alex Neal, yeah, like you mentioned there. I, I thought last season that he'd taken them uh, as far as he could. Um, and I feel like he'll probably be one of the next managerial departures if he doesn't sort their home farm out. But uh, a couple of Preston fans were saying that it seems like a bit of a mental block. Um, at Deepdale, you know, their home form is particularly woeful and it does, it sort of draws parallels to Borough last season um, and, and we saw ourselves that the only way that you can get rid of that problem is to get rid of the manager. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully their, their woeful home form continues. Um, but we'll see. I am worried about this game because all signs point to a Borough win, which means we'll probably lose. Typical <laughs> Borough. Um, I'll give you a little 
pass my go to you all. Just a thought of a, a positive Dana for Tony Pulis era. Oh, um, the goal at Preston where we had like five or six, well, I don't know about ten passes where it was lovely, intricate passing, Fletcher yeah. oh, yeah. it around the goalkeeper and scores. And that was quickly coached out of us. Um, so, else I'll pass the mic over <laughs> to you. Fletcher will walk back in the dressing room and be like, what were you doing that for? <laughs> Have you seen that Ben Foster clip uh, where he's at West Brom and the player Swansea and they're playing intricate passing, they're winning 1-0. And apparently Peele was like, what it was that? And like he made them play like, you need to, he's like, you need to get in and around the box, right? And they, tried, they moved to a long ball in the second half and got beat 2-1. Uh, oh my God, oh my God. Did you see the Sheffield Wednesday game yesterday? Ben Ben Strickland pointed it out to us. He took off, oh, who was it? He took off a striker or a forward, put on a defender. They were 1-0 up. They lost 2-1. <laughs> Never learn. Absolutely cool. Can't, you, you, can't, you can't teach an old ball. dinosaur new tricks. You yeah. can't do it. It's just like, <laughs> it's like the definition. Yeah, it's because it's like a Go on, else it's, um, it's just like the definition of insanity with Tony Pulis, isn't it? Where he's, he's trying to do the same thing, but he's obviously he's getting the same results. So, um, where were we? Um, on Preston. <laughs> you know on, Preston. on Preston, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have anything else really to cover, but um, when I did read the news on, on Ben Pearson, obviously really, I'm not really glad that people get injuries, obviously, but, um, you know, I, I think it'll be a big blow for them to add to the, the already going sort of injury list. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the dire home form is, is a big thing for us, I think. Horses. Yeah. I think, I'm not glad that we obviously lost yesterday, but I think obviously when we lost the Huddersfield game, we had a big turnaround in performance in the next game and results so i'm feeling quite optimistic for the game um because i think neil warnock will go back to basics again and just kind of say right look we can go there and really frustrate them they're already they're going to yeah. come out of the blocks and just try and be like right we need to start our home form but we can if you frustrate them again they'll get on they'll get annoyed with themselves again um i bet the preston fans are, are buzzing that they're not in tier two and, and not able to go um <laughs> yeah. to some of the home games but um it, it is a weird thing that your home farm can be that poor, like you say, even without fans. I think with us last season, it was more a case of maybe um, the toxicity around the place at the time, but um, which maybe goes to show that, you know, like I say, trends are appearing even without fans there at the moment. So um, we need to capitalise on it, really. So, yeah. yeah I agree. Dana, uh, one final question. Uh, Charlie Hooper says, uh, what does Roberts have to do to get in the team and would you put him in against Preston? I think he just needs to bide his time. I think some games are just not meant for Patrick Roberts. And it's weird because you would think if we're losing a game, you put him on. <laughs> Sounds like it's not you, it's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. Um, this, Yeah, this Swansea game, seeing out a, a 2-1, you, you don't put Patrick Roberts on. But some games are for him and some games aren't. And um, he's just going to have to bide his time. His time will come. And, and you know, yesterday was... It was difficult because I wouldn't say he didn't capitalise on his chance. It was just one of those games where no one really played well and, and the team as a whole, the, the game as a whole wasn't great. So it was, you know, I, I'm not going to criticise him for yesterday. I would maybe like to see him play a, against Preston um, with Ben Pearson out because then I think there's a little bit less um, dirt in that in that Preston defence. So, um, uh, midfield, sorry. So, I don't know. I think it's a strange one with Patrick Roberts. He is just going to have to be patient, I think. He will He will get his opportunity. Mm-hmm. I would look to bring him in against uh, against Preston. I'd look to bring in Watmore as well. I'd like to go mm. with um, a Brit, Watmore and Roberts front line. I think that would be... Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the reason why I say it is just 
defensively they're not sh- they're not very sharp, but I think it, this could potentially be a case of where both teams cancel each other out. Um, because Preston, if you're low confidence, you tend to put defensively first. Well, a lot of managers tend to go defensive first, try and make yourself hard to break down and try and get some on the break or try and look mm. for a set piece to maybe break the deadlock. Yeah, I think that could potentially be the, that dictating case uh, in, in, in this match because we're not creating many chances anyway. And if we're relying on one or two shots on target to try and get a result, and if we're not creating chances, they can sit back as well. And you could have a you could have a, a potential little draw written all over it, but that's why I said if we look to bring in Watmore and Roberts, yes, it does make us a little bit more defensively vulnerable, but that also counteracts it as a case of well, if they're going to push bodies forward, we might be able to get them on the break. And since it's all defensively frail, we go, we go one ahead, the confidence yeah. could potentially drop. So and you could potentially look at that way. Yeah, and they've had massive fallback issues um, this season with Fisher out, Hughes is out. Um, they've got a lot of defensive injuries, so I feel as though uh, when when Neil Warnock was talking about our lack of crosses, or, sorry, the lack of quality in the crosses, that's where you could maybe see some changes out wide, and, and maybe yeah. Roberts would would take up that position. Yeah. So I, I won't be surprised to see him start. I, I would like to see him uh, <coughs> try to some different roles as well. I think if we um, if a team's coming and setting up with two in midfield at some point, I think we could play three, but have it as instead of one sort of defensive midfielder, have two sort of central midfielders and then Roberts playing in the hole in front of them. Um, I think that would be quite a good way to see how he how he fares, especially against sort of defensively frail teams against Preston. I think it could work if you have um, someone like Ben Pearson out. He might have the space to operate. Um, I think he'd also be good behind a two-striker formation as well when, you know, Fletcher's back. And if we ever do go to a two, I'd like to see, like, you know, if it was Fletcher and Akpom and then Roberts behind them, you know, it's maybe um, too ludicrous to think we'll go that attacking, um, especially if we had wing backs in there as well. But I'd, I'd like to see it at some point. I think that's where Roberts can get his chance. No, so, no, yeah. I, I'd agree. I, I was just double checking on on their formation with a, with a four with three one. Yeah, so it's. I, I would like. I agree with you. We, we should we could try and rotate it else. Um, and I think we should also look to maybe play. I'm crazy if. if uh, <laughs> A five-two-three or a three-five-two, a, a, a and mm. the reason why I say it is that, like, I, I know, like, if they play four-three, when you've got four against three, but if we play a five, you're gonna have one free player. We obviously defensively at the ball, and then obviously if you go forward, they're gonna, you're gonna have the space essentially, especially if the if their wing backs pull forwards, we should be able to get the space in behinds. But I like that inverted, uh, that inverted wingers option that we could potentially have with Roberts and and, and what more. Just just mainly just due to Akpom or Brett who plays. We need to get him in. if we're, if crosses in the box and we're static and we're not going to gamble with them. Can we try and play him behind um, mm-hmm. and, and try and get ahead of them that way? Look, we've got the pace there. Both of them have pace, so it's it's not a, it's not a, like a bad thing. But maybe we should potentially opt to that to try and create a chance or two or if we're chasing the game on on Wednesday. But mm-hmm. it, Anything to my guy? Uh, predictions, shall we? Yeah, let's do predictions then. Um, Dan, Elliot, who wants to go first? Um, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, feeling quite optimistic, and I feel like we'll, you know, come back on our poor performance yesterday. So I'm going to go one nil to Borough. One nil to Borough. I think I'm going to go two one. I can see us conceding, given I was somewhat shaky away form of, of late, but their defence is um, catastrophic at the moment, so we sh- surely, to God, we should capitalise on that. Yeah, I can't call it this week. I, honestly, it is God, tough. It's... It seems so easy, isn't it? But it's a potential banana skin, if you like, if you're taking it away from the FA Cup. Mm. Um, I think it's just like, if I've got, I've got to look at the team we play Wednesday and mm. then be like, 
right, okay, I kind of know what we're going to get um, or what type of performance we're going to put in. Um, obviously, I'm not Mystic Mac or anything like that, but <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just a case of I think the team would give a good indicator what style we're going to play, but I think right now I'm going to probably say draw. Uh, probably go... I don't know why I said... I, I keep thinking nil nil, but even nil nil or 1-1. Mm. Um, so I'll go over draw, but that's pretty much it. Guys, um, we've got a comment from our uh, from the Apple podcast in it. It's a nice one for you, but AJT UK uh, for the comment said... A um, whole a lot of football analysis is extreme and hysterical, but this is steady in comparison. Really great views on tactics too. And Dana is cracking uh, at looking at the next opponent. Oh, well you. done, Dana. That's nice. I appreciate that. No love for Elliot. That's <laughs> 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 no, all right. At least, at least I won the poll of uh, the, the best leather jacket. So that's all right. You did. You did. <laughs> oh, was it 50-50? I think I might have finished. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it finished 51. <laughs> you, have, you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't won it since. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> been a lockdown I, 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 there's no point wearing it yeah fair enough yeah. No, comfy clothes comfy clothes only then but that's it guys thank you very much um, as always and thank you very much listeners for joining us as well and um, we really do appreciate all the listens you give us and all the engagements we have um, a little stat we pulled um, last night was we've had over 3 million impressions on Twitter in the last 90 days so averaging about a million impressions a month which is just outrageous for given we've only got 3,400 followers on Twitter, um, but like, I think we're nearly we're near about like six thousand, seven thousand across the platforms now. So that's really cool. Um, but also, guys, if you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, that'd be great. Um, leave us a rate, and we really appreciate it. it also helps us get charted. But like I say, we want to get to that top one hundred next year. But that's it. Um, but I haven't been able to do it on a cold, wet day in Stoke. This has been the Bora Breakdown podcast, and that was all your match day chatter in a pod. Up the Bora Breakdown. Wants support. Curtis Fleming is there on the edge of the air. Fleming for Craig Hignett. Hit it, Higgy. Higgy hits the track. Abanelli coming alive again. Janino wants the ball played to him. Abanelli spots out. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.